Thank you, Rick. And Nancy, be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll begin in verse 1. Every single children's Bible story book is going to have this story in it. It's one of the most familiar of the Bible stories. And, of course, we call them children's Bible stories because these are the ones we remember from Bible school when we were kids in Sunday school. Uh, there are a lot of lessons in this story that grown-ups need to remember. And a lot of times as we get into the scriptures and we go, of course, in some of the deeper spiritual things, we're prone to leave some of these Bible stories behind. Uh, that's a mistake. So there are some things in this passage of scripture we all need to remember. Some grown-up lessons from one of the most familiar of all children's Bible stories, and we find it in 1 Samuel. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephsdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. And his height was six cubits in a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had a bronze arm on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the strength of your word. And we ask that it would be applied to our lives. We know that all of us need to hear this this morning there are some who really need this message, that really need this list of grown-up lessons. So, Father, we ask that they would hit home today, and, Father, we would have the wisdom to take them to heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together. Now, immediately as we read this passage of Scripture, our focus is riveted on Goliath, but let's look at who Goliath was. He was one of the Philistines. That was the enemy. The Philistines were a problem early on. As the children of Israel were about to be led out of Egypt, God gave them the route. And in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, he said, You don't go down by the way of the Philistines, lest the people see war too early on 
and get discouraged. These people were mean folks, and the, the children of Israel were not ready for them, and God knew that. And God said, we're not going to lead you. And that was pretty much the straight course. He said, we can't lead you the straight course to go to the promised land because the Philistines were there. Way on over in Exodus chapter 23, he talks about driving out the inhabitants of the land from in front of them. And he mentions the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Hittites and, and all these people. And then he mentions the Philistines by name all of those in the land of Philistines. And then he says this, don't make a covenant with them, and you don't serve their gods. So we know the Philistines were a group that God told them early on, you don't need to mix it up with these people. They're not your friends. They're not my friends. Their gods will lead you astray, and they will harm you, and they will undermine you. Secondly, Time would prove that their goal was to total domination of every aspect of the lives of the Hebrews. If you look back a couple of chapters in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul had just become king, and it's a summary of what was going on, the political situation in the land of the Hebrews. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 19 there was no blacksmith to be found throughout the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. All the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, his sickle. The charge for sharpening was a pin for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So it came to pass on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of the any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. They want to dominate every aspect of their life to weaken them and make them unprepared for battle. So what was the best thing for them to do? They made sure they were unarmed. They made sure they were not going to be armed. There was no blacksmiths because they said if there were blacksmiths, they could make swords and also somehow they dominated the land to the point there was no blacksmith in the land of Israel. So they had to go down to the land of the Philistines, to sharpen everything. Now, if you use an axe any length of time at all, or a sickle any length of time at all, or a plow, it has to be sharpened pretty regularly. And they charged you for that. So every aspect of their lives, not just the fact that they were unarmed, but their everyday lives was dominated by the Philistines. And they took their weapons away or kept them from the weapons that would be most effective. Now, remember this. Just kind of file this away. You'll need this information a little bit later. Now, thirdly, they insisted on making the rules for battle. They came out. There was a mountain over there. The Philistines were over there. The Hebrews were over here. And there was a big plain in the middle of them. That's where they were going to fight. So, you know the story. Out comes Goliath, and he makes the rules. And he says, send me a man. There's no need in all of us fighting. Send me a man. And if I prevail against him, you'll serve us. If he prevails against me, I will serve you. Now, the children of Israel were petrified. They were petrified. There's no way they could win this battle. But let me ask the question, who said they had to fight by the rules of the Philistines? Who said that? 
Why did they let somebody else make the rules for their battle, for their lives? You see, it could have been quite easy. All they needed was one archer with one arrow. And from a distance, they could have taken him out. Or why would just one man go? He was way out in front of the army of the Philistines. Why not a whole troop of them run and fight the battle and overpower him? No, because he made the rules. Now, here's the question. Who's making the rule for your life? You see, they let a group of people who God said, you don't mix it up with these people. Don't make a treaty with them. Don't make agreements with them. Don't give them sons and daughters to marry. Don't mix it up with their gods. They're letting a whole group of ungodly people make the rules. And all too often, we as the church let ungodly people and an ungodly culture make the rules for how we're going to live and how we're going to operate. Who's making the rules for your life? Whose rules are we following? Why do they have to follow his rules? But somehow, someway, the entire army vapor-locked because they let somebody make the rules. Now we get to Goliath. He was something. He was nine feet tall, six cubits and a span. How big is nine feet tall? Well, brought my giant in a bag so you can see how big Goliath was you see there's sometimes we just have to read this and kind of guess so I'm going to let my giant out of the bag here's Goliath nine feet tall that's how tall Goliath was and you might say now wait a minute I don't think he had a smiley face on oh yeah he did he was laughing all the way at the children of Israel. Why? For 40 days, he had them cowered down. He was laughing. And I know when he saw David come at him, he was really laughing. Now, that's a pretty friendly, smiley face. That's pretty much what, what Goliath had on his face because he knew he was going to win this battle. That is a tall man. How big was he? Well, it says that his armor weighed 125 pounds. Now, 125 pounds is roughly, let me put it in something you can... Uh, it's over two sacks of deer corn. You can, you can, now you know how heavy it was? He wore that. He wore that. He says his spear was like a weaver's beam. Think of a, maybe a four-by-four four post. And the head of his spear was 15 pounds. You see, 15 pounds ain't nothing. A 12-pound sledgehammer is all you want to, to swing during the day, Bubba. That's all you want. You don't want any more than that. You pick up a 12-pound sledgehammer. I don't even know if they make 15-pound sledgehammers. They do. I don't want any part of it. But that's how big his spear was. He was a big, big man. Now, critics of the Bible will say, well, there you go. No such thing as giants. Bible's false. Well, wait a minute. We're not talking about Jack and the Beanstalk giant, 30 feet tall. We're not talking about Paul Bunyan giant, 30 feet tall. We're talking about nine feet tall. Now, that's a big man. That is a big man. You might say, well, that's impossible. Well, a man by the name of Robert Wadlow lived in the early 1900s. Robert Wadlow was born in 1918. He died in 1940. You know how tall Robert Wadlow was? Eight feet, 11 inches. Okay? So we know he was almost nine 
feet tall. You know, he had an arm span of nine feet, five inches. He was a big guy. You look it up and see some of the pictures. He was quite impressive. Now, he had giantism, and he grew so fast that in his later days, he was just about crippled. However, there have been other people that have grown that tall. In the 1800s, a man named John Rogan, eight feet nine. John Carroll in the 1900s, he passed away in 1969, eight foot six. Right now, there are several people in the United States that are eight foot six, two that are eight foot five, two that are eight foot three. So we realize there are big guys, and this guy was huge. This guy was huge. Now, let me put it into perspective because you say, well, how strong was this guy? Well, he obviously is pretty strong. And I remember when I was just a young guy, Andre the Giant. You remember Andre the Giant? I see heads nodding. I hear amens all over the building, man. If those of you who don't know who Andre the Giant was, he was a wrestler. Now, not a wrestler, a wrestler. There's a difference. Professional wrestling. Always on television. Some people say that stuff is fake, but Andre, there was nothing fake about Andre. He was not as big as Goliath. He was only seven feet four, but he weighed 520 pounds. He was strong. He was huge. And if we ever heard that Andre the Giant was going to come on Saturday wrestling, we had to watch it. We had to watch this guy. And he would come ambling up, and you'd say, who's the junior high kid in the ring with him? It'd be a six-foot-something guy. So you realize there are people who get that big. And obviously in that time and in that part of the world, there were people who got that big. Now, here's this guy coming out against them. He was huge to be able to carry this armor, to be able to carry this spear. He was a strong man. He was intimidating. And he bellowed out to the armies of God, and nobody wanted to step up to face him. Not even the king that was head and shoulders above everybody else. You would think if there was ever a champion that would stand up on behalf of his people, it would be King Saul. He was head and shoulders above everybody else, and everybody looked to him for leadership, and he was behind the battle lines too. They had nobody. They would step up, and for 40 days they faced this man until the challenger showed up. He wasn't even facing battle. He didn't have battle on his mind when he showed up. The summary of what we look at is David's brothers were in the army. Several of his brothers were in the army. The army didn't provide food for the soldiers. The people were responsible for, for providing food for the soldiers. So David's daddy told him, go take these cheeses and this bread and all this stuff over to your brothers and make sure there's enough for everybody. And they were feeding the army that way. So I heard somebody say, okay, here was David. He was taking some bread and some cheese. He was the first recorded pizza delivery guy. I mean, he was taking it to him, And he's taking, he was taking the food to his brothers. And then he sees what's going on. And if we look at verse 23 of this passage of Scripture, he shows up at the battle line. And he's talking with his brothers and the people around him. 
As he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up for the armies of the Philistines and spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. David heard them. And all of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills the king will enrich great riches and give him his daughter and his daughter's house and his father's house exemption from taxes. David spoke to the man who stood by them saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine, takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him in this manner, saying, So it shall be done for the man that kills him. David is intrigued. He's looking around. Nobody's stepping up. He says, Who's this? Oh, you hadn't seen this guy? You've got to see this guy. He's huge. He's Goliath. He's been taunting us for 40 days. And David said, What's going to happen to the man who kills this guy? Of course, they tell him all that's going on. Now, Eliab, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. He said, why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? You see, David saw the importance of the challenge. He said, it's not a military challenge. It's not a political challenge. It's a spiritual challenge. He said, is there not a cause? He is defying the armies of the living God. He is defying the Hebrew people. The Philistines have put us in a stalemate, and God promised that he would drive them out. God promised we would get the victory over these people. God promised this land would be ours. What are you doing sitting here? Isn't this a cause? There's a spiritual matter at stake. They lost sight of all that. All they could see was as big as the giant was. They got derailed. He knew spiritual principles were at stake against an enemy that God had promised victory. He was willing to step up when nobody else would. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him because of him. Your servant will go up and fight with this Philistine. He looked around. All there was doing, crickets chirping in the lines. Nobody's saying anything. Everybody's cowering. Everybody's afraid. David stepped up and said, I'll do it. Now, David was still a teenager. He was still a little guy. He was still a young guy. All these battle-hardened men shivering in their boots. And David said, I can take him on. Why? Because David recognized the source of his strength. We continue reading. Verse 33, Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. You are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from his mouth. When it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and bear. But this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. 
Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And David, Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David didn't say, I can take him on. I know how to handle this sling. I can take him on. I know how to do this. What did he said? The Lord helped me win the victory against a lion and a bear. I've seen not what I can do. He said, I've seen what God can do. I've seen what God can do. And this guy's nothing compared to a lion and a bear. He's not as quick. He's not as vicious. He's, he's not as strong. He's nothing. Could a lion or a bear could take him out. I took them out with the hand of the Lord with me. This guy's nothing. I can take this guy out as well. And he recognized, of course, that this guy did not have the covering and protection and the strength of God because he served a false God. So he knew this man didn't have the strength that he had in God. And of course, he used the equipment that God had given him. We continue reading. Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened a sword to his armor, tried to walk, for he had not tested them. David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them, for David took them off. You see, David wasn't going to try to be somebody else in battle. You realize when David put on Saul's armor, he was taking on the identity of Saul because that's what he would have looked like. Well, a little short miniature Saul. But anyway, he had Saul's armor on and people would identify him. Hey, this guy is with Saul. David couldn't fight with Saul's armor. David couldn't fight with Saul's equipment. David had to operate with the equipment that God gave him and that God supplied him with. Now, there's a grown-up lesson there. All of us have a specific place where God wants us to serve. And where God wants us to serve, he gives us the right equipment. We're not talking about just physical equipment. We're talking about talents, abilities, strengths, spiritual gifts, and there's nothing more frustrating than to try to serve the Lord in an area where you're not gifted or try to be somebody else in your service. Just be what God wants you to be and use the talents that God has given you. Find those. Now, how do we find them? Just like David. Try some stuff on. How do you find out what your spiritual gifts are? Try to start doing things in the church, in the service of the Lord. We'll find out real quick what our spiritual gifts aren't. And then we'll know what God has gifted us to do. But he was not going to fight somebody else's battle. And of course, we have to, to understand that he used the weapons that God gave him. And when it comes to the giants in our life, all too often we use the wrong weapons. We try to rely on our wit. We try to rely on our finances. We try to rely on maybe something else to prop us up. But now the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not fleshly, but they're spiritual weapons, and they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Then he gives us the list of the armor that God intends for us to use as we fight the battles of life. 
You know the passage of Scripture. I'll point it out because we're about to make a very important application of this whole passage of Scripture here. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. They mentioned it twice. The armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Then he listed. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Did you see the list of armor? Truth, righteousness, preparation of the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. Now, here's the application. Do you remember when we talked about the enemy, the Philistines, totally dominating the lives of the Hebrews to the point where they took away their weapons? And the enemy would like nothing better than to take away truth and righteousness and the gospel and the word of God out of your life. And when these have been taken away, we will not win a battle. But when we let the enemy disarm us, truth, you know what righteousness is? Rightness. Living right. The word of God. When these things are, are, are absent from our lives, we will win no battles. So you understand this is a big lesson in the children's Bible story. And he fought the battle in the strength of God. Back to the passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 41. The Philistine came, began drawing near to David. The man who bore the shield went before him. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he was disdained, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said, Am I a dog that you've come back with me with sticks? That's, that's when he had this face on. You know, he was, he was really, he was cracking a big joke. Am I a dog you'd come at me with sticks? Well, the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword and spear and with a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, God, the Lord, will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. All this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. So it was that the Philistine arose and came near and drew near to David. David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and 
struck the Philistine in his forehand. The stone sank into his forehand. He fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Big old Goliath had a shield, had a sword, had a spear. David had a rock. A rock. David had a rock, but more than that, David came to him with the strength of God. David said, the battle is the Lord's. He said, the Lord will give you into our hand. I won't have anything to do with it except following the leadership of the Lord. And he came running out there. Now, Goliath was a big guy. Probably couldn't move that fast with all that armor on. The thing is, Goliath thought he had made the rules for battle. He thought somebody would come out with armor and fight the battle like he usually fought. Here's what happens. When the enemy doesn't make the rules for you, you can win a lot more battles. He didn't make the rules for David. He wasn't expecting a sling and a stone. David didn't fight by the enemy's rules. David didn't play by the enemy's rules, and neither should we. And it's no wonder we lose battle after battle. But he knew he's not going to dictate how we're going to do this fight. And he ran to meet him. And then he slung the stone and hit him in the forehead. And you know, of course, the lesson. All of us face a giant from time to time. Sometimes it's personal circumstances. We don't have an answer. We face giants, personal circumstances, problems, a crisis, bigger than we are. A lot bigger than we are. No way in our own strength can we change the outcome. But then the battles are bigger than that because it's not just a personal battle. A lot of times we face giants that want to keep us from doing what God wants us to do and being what God wants us to be. They're old habits, old thought processes, worry, discouragement, anger, all of these things. They're giants. And over and over again, they keep us from doing what God wants us to do and being all that God wants us to be. All of us face these. And in our own strength, we never go up against the giants and win. But take the lesson from the children's Bible story. In God's strength, the giant falls when God makes the rules and we use what God gives us and we stand for what's right. David stood for the, uh, for the holiness of God's name, and David prevailed. Now, you might say, well, that's not, that's not a problem in my life. I, I, don't, I don't face any giants right now. Oh, yes, we do. The biggest of all giants stepped out and defied the human race and said, send me a champion and see if you can defeat me. And like the armies of Israel, there was nobody in the human race that could step up and defeat the army, defeat the giant, until God sent a champion. Who, who was this enemy? Who, who is this giant? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25. 
The Apostle Paul writes of Jesus Christ, he must reign till he put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. You see, death, that giant, introduced into the human experience when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. All of human race was unable to step up and defeat death. Death always held its steam. No one could go out and face the giant of death. This enemy always prevailed until God sent a champion, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ stepped up and did battle with death and defeated death. And the last enemy, when you say the last enemy, that means it has to be the strongest. So all the other enemies fall until you get to the last one. And the last one is that strongest one that, you, that nobody could ever get. The ultimate enemy that will be destroyed is Death. What does the Bible say about this? Skip down to verse 54. When this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, this mortal shall I put on immortality, then will be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ that's the big grown-up lesson of the story of David and Goliath. Jesus Christ, our champion, stepped out on the battlefield to meet death. 101, we couldn't do it. And he faced the giant, death. The last enemy, death. And death was swallowed up in victory. That's the gospel message. That's the gospel message. Jesus Christ died a real death, and was buried in a real grave and defeated death and walked right out of it. The giant fell on the day of resurrection, and God whipped him for us through Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Do you know that? Are you worried about the giant of death? You worried about that? God can take that sting away through the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there's another giant you're facing. This may have hit a nerve. God knows. And you may say, God, I've been fighting this giant all wrong. The battle is yours. And I'm going to let you take care of these giants in my life. Whatever need you might have, let's do business with God this morning. Stand and sing what number? Oh, 169. Right?